my name is Laura, and I'm a mom of two rare boys living in the United States. And hey, my name's Jill. I'm a mom of one rare little girl living in Toronto, Canada. We are learning to live rare. No matter the distance. We're finally doing it. We're starting a podcast. I know. I'm so nervous. I am too. This is like new and exciting and scary and all of the above. <laughs> it can't be, it can't be scarier than a rare disease diagnosis though, can it? Um, you know what? Maybe not as scary as when you first get it, but definitely scarier than it is now. Yeah. You, you learn to live through the Sunday scaries a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's like when your kid first gets diagnosed with a rare disease, you like freak out. And then, you know, after a little bit, you're just like, oh, you're like a regular kid, but different. <laughs> but different. But more doctor's appointments and you cost more money if you could ever imagine a regular kid costing more money. <laughs> I know, right? Like, uh, I mean, there are scary things to having a rare child, but oh, for sure. I think our point in joking about that is um, it's not as scary as I think we thought it was in the very beginning. Yeah, it's not all doomsday all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's when you get diagnosed by a doctor, right? that's kind of what they come off as is it's, oh, it's, you know, you're going to constantly go from one doctor's appointment to the next and you'll find yourself randomly having like a couple months where you don't and you can almost, um, Scott and I, Scott's my husband uh we're talking that there are times that we can easily forget for uh, even if it's just a short time um exactly the position we're in yeah there's definitely days where some days Dallas is just being a two-year-old and I'm like oh you're annoying it's like oh my word can't blame this one on the disease (laughs) no that's her mom's attitude oh there's genetics at play but not the right genetics (laughs) that's that's not located in the cilia not at all (laughs) Oh, but yeah, and it's, you know, watching them play or watching them enjoy something, playing Risk with the family or, you know, watching a movie on movie night, fighting us to go to school, they don't want to go to school, Um, wanting to sleep in or stay up late on Saturday, all those things that you would see a normal child doing, we get to experience those as well. Like sometimes it's more like enjoyable when you have those moments, because you know that it's not always going to be like that. So when you get, you know, your kid throwing a tantrum over having to go to bed versus throwing a tantrum over blood work you're like oh I'll take this one I'll take it I used to tell people um I never appreciated first words until I had Gabriel and he didn't speak for the first five years and I never like I you love hearing your child say mama and dada for the first time you love that and when they start talking you you know want to hear their opinions but the individual words milk cereal eat I mean, you don't think about those. Those are natural words to everybody. Um, And when that part is missing, the frustration, the tears, and the, you know, you just want to do whatever you can to help your baby. Uh, When those words come, they just have a whole new meaning to you. Yeah, I remember with Dallas's speech regression, she was saying mama so much, and then she didn't talk for three months. The first time she said mama again, Thomas was taking her out of the bath, and I guess she was cold. She was pretty upset, and he brought her into the room, and she reached her arms that went mama mama and I saw for like an hour and a half I'm not even exaggerating I just laid in bed with her and just cried wow we're going but off on we're going page. way off topic we need to introduce ourselves we need to introduce yeah we need to so let's let's do this real fast and I am Laura I have two sons with Barnett Beatles in the room I have four kids in total Morgan and Braxton are crazy older kids who I'm sure at some point you'll meet um Gabe and Robbie are eight and nine years old they are incredibly smart they're doing swimming this year so we uh you know we're busy with swim stuff and school and navigating corona world i'm married to scott who is a disabled veteran so i'm his full-time caregiver and uh yeah we just you know we're trying to figure out life what about you jillian so i'm jillian i have a husband named thomas uh he has a daughter from a previous marriage so not only am i a mom i I am lucky enough to be a stepmom. Harper is nine and she is the sweetest little thing on the face of the earth. And Dallas is uh, me and Thomas's daughter together. She's our BBS kiddo. She's two. And she is a little spitfire. She is the sassiest toddler. She doesn't talk yet, but if she could, I'm sure she would have some choice words to say for me more times than not. Um, And yeah, I'm getting, I'm finishing up my psychology degree. And that's what I do with my life. I'm a student. I'm a mom. I'm a stepmom. I have two dogs. I'm a dog mom too. 
Now, before we regress down another rabbit hole, which people, we will do way more (laughs) than we want. I definitely want to get into the reasons why we are doing this. And I think some of the biggest reasons are education, resources. We want to talk about therapies. We want to talk about real life with rare disease. Support groups and what options are available to join the community so you don't feel so alone. And a place that you can come and ask questions. We will be putting our email address in the description. So if you have questions, you can email us or you can reach us on both Facebook, Instagram. Um, Speaking of which, we want to do the giveaway. A giveaway. (laughs) Uh, We are going to be doing a giveaway. So we will be putting a post in both Instagram and Facebook. If you like, share, and comment on Facebook and and Instagram, you can share our post to your story, our giveaway post. And you can win a $25 Amazon gift card. Unfortunately, you have to be in either America or Canada to win this prize. But we are looking forward to not just doing this one, but doing others. And in the future, we're going to try and expand that outside of our little area. I feel like for the first giveaway, logistically, we don't want to have to do currency exchange (laughs) before we even figure that out. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that works. But since my daughter is going to Europe this summer, I should be learning pretty fast. Maybe we can get her to snag an Amazon gift card from a pharmacy up there. (laughs) We should. Then we can just mail it out. Yep. So that's just a little bit about us and why we are doing this so i do want to kind of start at the beginning of our lives and what we're doing so why don't we start at the very beginning jillian you want to tell us about your beginnings with with rare disease yeah we can start with pregnancy i guess that's where we're gonna start so if we're gonna begin in pregnancy my pregnancy up until our 20 week anatomy scan was pretty normal i mean laura what was your pregnancy like uh gabe's was horrible i was <laughs> sick from day one i was throwing up excessively i was in the hospital a couple times for that my blood pressure spiked really early on and my blood sugars went through the roof but yeah about 20 weeks is when they found Gabe's enlarged kidneys. Dialysis were enlarged too and I mean it's funny because I threw up I think every five minutes the entire beginning of my pregnancy. I had to bring a bag into the car with me if I even was just going down the street to the store because I knew I was throwing up. It was a guarantee I was throwing up. (laughs) Oh my word and the random cravings that were so out there. Did you have those? had really random cravings but I had one craving or two cravings that stuck even now I never drank pop I did, wasn't a person that drank pop and I was addicted to diet coke and 7-eleven chocolate chip cookies so I would send Scott every night at two o'clock to Walgreens which is a drugstore because they had a slushy machine in there and it had to be a slushy from there and then Applebee's mashed potatoes <laughs> I don't know why those two items but those like those would be like one of the only things I could eat without throwing up. Yeah, I could I could eat an entire box of cookies and they're from 7-Eleven. And the funniest thing is when Dallas was born, she weighed 7-Eleven. And I was like, oops, I think I did that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Those were all like weird things with it. And then, like I said, the blood pressure was really bad throughout most of it. And the swelling, oh my God, the swelling. You touched me and left in bed. Within <laughs> 10 days of having Gabe, I lost 70 pounds of just water weight. I was my own body of water. Oh my goodness. I think that's one of the things that they said to me is that I had, I think it's called hypohydrosis, is the excess fluids that the kidneys are releasing with the kidney disease, is that I had so much amniotic fluid. People would always come up to me and be like, oh, you're carrying twins. And I'm like, nope, just one. Gabe, I didn't get that a lot. But with Robbie, I was like two or three months pregnant and I looked seven or eight months pregnant. And like people assumed that there were twins. Um, Little side note though, Gabe was a twin. Oh, really? Um, I lost his twin early in utero. Oh, my goodness. I so didn't know that. Gabe, um, when Gabe was born with the extra digit and we didn't know what it was, that was one of the first things that the doctors thought is maybe he was chimera, which is where you absorb your twin and sometimes you can have extra things like that happen. But that's not the case. Fun fact. I didn't know that. Probably should mention Robbie's pregnancy was a breeze. No issues at really? all. Nothing Lucky. wrong. With they didn't find kidney issues. They didn't find anything wrong during pregnancy. I didn't throw up once. I got the end of my pregnancy which was in September so I was pregnant during August and I'm like mm-hmm. I could literally stay pregnant forever it was a breeze that pregnant glow that people talk about I think mine was just sweat yeah mine was definitely 
That was sweat. That was 100% sweat. It was just a gleam. I glistened in the sun like a vampire. <laughs> and maybe I could have stayed pregnant forever because we knew that that was going to be our last. Like yeah. We knew, we knew we were done, so I just, I wanted to hold on to it. And maybe that's why I didn't think it went so bad. Thomas and I always wanted more kids. I mean, after Dallas's diagnosis and everything going on, we just decided that we don't think we can do this again. We didn't know because we got our diagnosis in utero, right? We knew what was going on. Um, so we had our 20 week anatomy scan. They said her kidneys looked weird. Hearing your daughter's kidneys look weird isn't a very great medical explanation. <laughs> so yeah, Dr. Gabe's kidneys were enlarged. They were really big and he described them as bright. Right. Yeah. Other than that, like there, he didn't say weird. He just said, we're just going to be keeping an eye on these. Yeah. So we went to just like a regular ultrasound clinic that there's no doctors or anything. Like that's all they do is ultrasounds and x-rays. So I think they maybe just didn't have the expertise. They just said weird. And I was like, okay, well, that's not very reassuring. <laughs> so we got sent to a specialist, which I don't think she's that special, but we'll leave it at that. We went there and I got another ultrasound and the ultrasound tech was getting so annoyed because Dallas wouldn't cooperate. She was trying to get pictures of I don't know what. I'm assuming probably maybe she saw the extra digits and didn't know how to get Dallas to show them in the scan. So the ultrasound tech actually left bruises all over my stomach. It was a pretty traumatic experience. Um, we went into the doctor's office. This is a doctor I'd never met before. Thomas had never met before and she walked in didn't introduce herself and said your daughter has polycystic kidney disease she's not gonna make it this doctor yeah we'd never met her and that's her introduction to us she said I don't know a lot about polycystic kidney disease she slapped down a textbook right on the table and was just like here read these three paragraphs from this textbook from the 1970s reiterated the fact you know your daughter's not gonna survive I'll book you a termination and Thomas and I were like wait no we need more we need a second opinion we need to confirm that this is what this is because no I'm not doing that so we asked for a second opinion polycystic ovaries isn't a death sentence so why would they be like oh get terminated like, she said because was... it was polycystic kidney disease she said that like she wouldn't make it full term but the research that she was reading was you know from the 70s and i had a week in between our second opinion to do research and we didn't have any of the signs we didn't have low amniotic fluid like i said there was a lot of amniotic fluid there was growth the kidneys were like you said bright they were big, but normally in polycystic kidney disease, the signs are different and we just didn't have it and it didn't make sense. Terminate the pregnancy or she's not going to live until full term. You're sitting here going, what's the difference? Why can't we try and wait and see if she lives? And if she needs a kidney transplant, imagine that she has two parents with two functioning kidneys. Yeah, and that was her thing that made me the most angry. She admitted she didn't know enough about it. But if you don't know enough about it, why are you offering me a termination on something that you don't understand? Exactly. 100% if you don't agree with this, it's cool. I don't think doctors should recommend something if they don't know enough information they should give you the options but they should never recommend which one they want you to get yeah and she seemed very like this is what you're doing and I'm like first of all lady I don't even know your name so let's start with an introduction before you tell me to terminate my pregnancy at 20 weeks not recommend but they shouldn't tell you which one they would do yeah i think they should if there's one that they you know they recommend over the others maybe mentioning that if there's a chance my child's gonna live i want my child to live yeah and i don't think this woman even considered our feelings didn't consider anything because while thomas and i were sobbing in the room she left us and she came back in she said hey do you mind if you go out the back door you guys are a little upset i don't want you to upset my other patients and i was like oh sorry you just told me my daughter is gonna die and that's when I would have copped a felony. <laughs> <laughs> Thought about it. I, you know, I had the mental picture of launching myself across the table, but I was like, let's leave this. Let's get a second oh, opinion. Do not go to jail for this woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So we went to Mount Sinai in Toronto, which is a great hospital. They have a special pregnancy program and it's multidisciplinary on one floor. I can get my blood work done. I can get my urine results, get there. I can get ultrasounds. There's a genetics counseling side. There's a psychiatry side, which was very useful. So we went and I got a new OB because at this point I had had a midwife in Canada. If you have a midwife and there's a medical problem, they have to refer you out of their care, but they're there for support. So I got a new OB and he was pretty cool. And he came in and he was doing our ultrasound. And while he was doing my ultrasound, he's, you know, humming and hawing at what he's looking at. And I was like, Hey, I, I know that you're doing something right now, but I'd like a little bit of communication. And he was like, I see something here, but she doesn't have polycystic kidney disease. And this was within two minutes of her ultrasound that he determined that she does not have polycystic kidney disease. That doctor was, over there wanted you to terminate your pregnancy on nothing. On nothing. Yeah, that, on an that, ultrasound that you couldn't get my baby to cooperate on. That is why a doctor should not tell you what to do. Yeah. That right there. Exactly. So the OB says, oh, your daughter has extra digits. I'm like, extra what? <laughs> He's like, extra digits on her hands and feet. I swore. It and sounds weird though when they first tell you. It does. And like, I've never seen anyone with extra digits before. Not that I really cared at this point. So when we didn't know when we were pregnant that Gabe had an extra digit and I had him and they came in afterwards and I hadn't seen him and I had a C-section so he was still in the nursery with Scott and uh, the nurse came in and she goes, I um I don't want you to be alarmed but he does have an extra toe and I looked at her and I'm like, did my husband put you up to this? <laughs> I didn't know how to take that. Like, what? Okay. I mean, and then they brought him in and I opened his blanket and I saw it there and I was like, oh, it's so cute. It looks like a little heart. It was adorable. Yeah, I loved Dallas's extra digits. The ones on her hands weren't connected by bones. So they were just little wobbly little things and they were so cute. And she always used to like grab onto them when she was feeding and her extra toes. The nurses actually like mentioned when she was born, oh, she has extra fingers. I'm like, yeah, I know she has extra toes too, but they were so so perfectly placed that all of the nurses missed it and they were like counting and like oh what the <laughs> I'll have to share a picture of Gabe's feet because uh, Gabe's was almost the same. It looked like a little heart, but the extra digit pushed his normal pinky toe over the foot when they needed to take a toe. Um, because the extra digit had full bones, toenail moved independently and was growing, they left the extra digit and took his original pinky toe. So Gabe technically still has his extra digit. Oh, so he's fancy. He is. Uh, with Dallas's, her extra toes were growing out of the same bone that her pinky toe was so her surgery was pretty it took longer than they thought because they had to reconstruct all of the ligaments because they were moving together if she moved wiggled her little toes those last two the extra one and her pinky toe wiggled together yeah and that i hear it didn't happen actually that's actually something that sets us apart uh, that we learned from our plastic surgeon at the time was it's extremely rare to get the extra digits with bones and fingernails and all that stuff or toenails because they usually are just those flaps of skin and those are like kind of easier to take off but the ones with bone are harder like, yeah they're also extremely rare Dallas's, even though her extra it was so weird even though her extra fingers weren't attached by like it was just a bit of skin but it was still like a little nub there was no bone in it but it still had a nail like I had to clip the nail don't know why <laughs> don't know the explanation behind that but yeah it was they were cute and I love them we'll post pictures on our Facebook page on our Instagram maybe of the extra digits so I took pictures we didn't like post them everywhere like my kids extra toe <laughs> like it, like we didn't know about bonnet boot like we don't know where this came from you know 100 150 years ago would you tell people you had an extra digit even within a family you might not see or you might not know that a past relative had had an extra digit so yeah we didn't really talk about it it was just something that was there the phone I took pictures with that when I had Gabe and had all the pictures on it got ruined and I was Aww. never able to retrieve those pictures. I have one picture where you can kind of see the side of it and then yeah. footprint at birth, you can see it. We took footprints right before Dallas's surgery because they called us the day before and they're like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, why? I don't know. What, you want to hang out? <laughs> nope, your daughter's getting surgery. I was like, okay. So after our scan and they found that stuff, we got brought into a room with our 
our genetics counselor and they brought up a couple different things that they see those kinds of stuff in and BBS was one of them and our genetics counselor was great and she actually said you know what I'm 99% sure that she has party fetal syndrome and I was like okay so we kind of went with that but we still decided we wanted to do an amnio because we wanted to confirm we wanted to know what to do when she got here I think you got an amnio too didn't you so not for this so at that point when we had Gabe we didn't know about Barnett Beetle and then we had Robbie just 14 months later and again didn't know about Barnett Beetle we were not at the accepting point where we realized that something was wrong with Gabe like we could see it but you know parents don't always accept it yeah um, and we were still at that part uh, where we were just like he'll develop it as you know when he's ready he'll start doing stuff so we weren't there yet I had other complications I had had four c-sections I was going into my fourth c-section with Robbie and then the last two were within a very short period of time from each other so they were monitoring me very closely for a rupture oh. um, a uterine rupture so we had the amnias done at 35 weeks and 37 weeks both times the lungs were not yet developed and so at 39 weeks I went into labor and it was a little dramatic because they told me they didn't want me to go into labor and that I could go crazy and we had Robbie on September 23rd. I think I don't think there's any amount of reading or lived experiences that you can listen to and follow that will prepare you for a doctor walking into a room without anesthesia with an eight inch needle ready to just shove it into your pregnant belly. Oh Scott watched it. He was like oh and you can see it because they, they had it on a monitor. On the ultrasound right? Yeah Robbie reached up and tried to grab the needle and they had to like spin it out of the way. Oh that Ugh. hurts so bad. Dallas decided to butt slide into the amnio needle and it started shaking <laughs> and Thomas is just like oh god that's what Scott when they were starting to move it they were like he's like oh god and then like a lot of people don't realize like that is actually puncturing a hole in your uterus so now you have to be watched and monitored for labor yeah so it's like what did I just do after we got our amnio they said you know if you have any if you experience any labor symptoms like come in but we're about an hour away from Mount Sinai so I actually thought I was in labor I was in excruciating pain curled up in a ball at 21 weeks pregnant thinking I was in labor Thomas had to rush me to the nearest hospital and they did all their checks and they're like oh you're not in labor I'm like why am I in so much pain <laughs> We did uh, three rounds of testing. Uh, our first round of testing tested for Down syndrome, but like a couple different things that would have been life-threatening. And that came back after five days and they were all negative. Our second round of testing tested for a bunch of other things that were life-threatening and that came back after two weeks and they were all negative. They asked us if we wanted to go further with the testing because we had to apply for a government grant because they don't test the cilia where BBS is found, where all the genes are found. They don't test for that in Canada. So we had to get a government grant. Otherwise, I would have had to come up with about 15 grand to try to figure out how to test our amniotic fluid, which I don't have 15 grand. Didn't know how I was going to do that. Ours, they made us sign a paper saying if our insurance wouldn't cover it, we would. And it had the amount on there. And for Gabe, I will never forget, it was $10,621 just to run the test. That is not the lab. That is not the doctor's visit. That is just the genetic testing portion of it. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine what we would have done if we didn't get the grant. Well, you wouldn't have got to test it. Like, that's I us. Like, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. Yeah, we wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. Like, okay, I guess we just go on with no answers. But I guess that... That's the beginning of the financial burden for most families. If, if you want to find something out, you got to hope you get lucky. When I was 32 weeks pregnant, that's when we had our baby shower. You know, this was my first pregnancy. I wanted a nice baby shower. You know what I mean? I just wanted one no, no. sense of normalcy before all of the chaos that I knew was going to happen. And the day after my baby shower was the day we got the diagnosis. We went into our clinic and we were waiting for our ultrasound. And and our genetics team comes out and says, hey, you know what? We need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, here we go. And our genetics counselor came in and I think she was shaking just as bad as Thomas and I. And she sat down and just kind of word vomited, your daughter has Barney Beetle syndrome. And I was like, okay. And at that point, I think my brain just turned off. I stopped functioning for a little bit and she was running through everything. And the doctors, you know, they have to run.
run through all of the bad stuff because that's their job. They don't know about the good stuff. They don't know about the lives that these people live post-diagnosis. And they just know the medical stuff. And she ran through it. The last thing she said to us was, I've seen this five times before and four of the families chose termination. I need you to pick, but I need you to pick today. And I looked at Thomas and we had already kind of had that conversation. We made the decision that if this is something that we can treat, if this is something that she'll have somewhat of a quality of life for, then we don't feel comfortable with termination. And you know what? There's some people that choose that and that's fine. Everyone needs to make that decision, but you need to make that decision from an informed place. You need to know where you're at. You need to consider so many different things like your mental stability and your financial situation. And then you have to think about all of the stuff that your kid is going to go through. And in that moment, having a doctor's be like, I need you to choose now. I had about five minutes to decide. It was scary. I think if the doctors are able to connect you with another family that already has a child diagnosed with that when you're in that stage and kind of have that conversation. What would you have done in that situation? It's a scary disease when they first tell you about it. It, it, Well, it's still a scary disease, but I think it's almost more scary when they first tell you because there are so many unknowns. They tell you, you know, it causes kidney disease, liver disease. They're going to go blind. They possibly will go deaf. They start throwing all these things at you and you're like, worst case scenario. Yeah. You know, it's like being hit by a train. Like, Gabe, they all he had was an autism diagnosis and they wanted to know why he had autism. They were looking for a fractured X gene. And then I get this phone call saying your child has Bardet Beetle syndrome and my doctor is giving me this information and we are floored. Like we went from having an autistic child to kidney disease, liver disease, heart conditions, seizures. I mean, it just so much piled on. It was so insane. Um, and if you don't, it's like, especially if you're pregnant, like, and you start reading all this stuff, you're not going to see a Dallas or a Gabe or a Robbie. No. You're not going to see the children and the adults they could become. And yeah, not exactly. really. So I think um, if hospitals are able to connect families, if they have families that have this diagnosis and would like to be put on a list of people to contact for new families to learn more about the syndromes or learn more about the children or adults with BBS, I think that's something hospitals should work to do. We offer that because at this point in our pregnancy, we hadn't even told anyone anything because we were so scared of being something terminal and if we chose to make a decision to terminate our pregnancy because I didn't know if I could handle giving birth to a child and losing them in my arm. I didn't know if I could do that. So we didn't tell anyone. No one knew anything. So we were alone. We were so, so alone and so isolated and so scared. So we told the doctors, you know, once we got a little more comfortable with this, our names are down. If another family gets that diagnosis, then they can call and like, yeah, it's scary, but this is my daughter and she's pretty damn cool. That's awesome. And we did that with our genetic people too. Like we were like, if anybody gets diagnosed, let them know that they can contact me and I'm more than happy to help them figure this out. And I I have been able to, there are a couple of people in our area that I was able to help in the first process of it, just kind of get used to the idea. (laughs) It's a big thing to get used to. Dr. Bueller, who was our doctor, was an amazing geneticist very well known. A super awesome guy. Um, he grew really close with our family. He even uh, put Gabe in for his Make-A-Wish trip. Aww. He passed away a couple years ago and it was like losing a friend. I literally could call him for any questions and he definitely wanted to, you know, make sure that people were educated. When Gabe was diagnosed, I remember he got Robbie and him confused because Gabe didn't fit the profile Aww. from the outside. Um, but Robbie did, but Robbie didn't have any other symptoms. So that was our kind of odd one at the very beginning. And even Dr. Haas got our kids confused who is the leading BBS doctor up in Marshfield which is one of the only clinics in North America that really handles BBS related stuff. And I think to get everyone a little bit excited is Dr. Haas is going to come on our next episode and answer some questions about BBS. So when I was 38 weeks pregnant Thomas was supposed to be working overtime so I went with my mom I went to Toronto and was getting our regular checkup I was getting my blood pressure taken and I always chit chatted with the same nurse 
this all the time. I talk a lot. You're going to learn that real quick. I talk a lot. So she actually told me to be quiet while she was taking my blood pressure. She got really concerned and said, hey, I need you to go to triage. There's something wrong with your blood pressure. And I'm like, somebody needs to stop saying there's something wrong with something at this point. I'm just a little tired. <laughs> so I went over to triage with my mom, not Thomas. And Thomas was supposed to start um, overtime at four o'clock. I called him at 4.01 p.m. on a Monday saying, hey, babe, I know you're just starting overtime. And he's like, what's up? And I had to be like, oh, you want to come to Toronto? We're having a baby. <laughs> So real fast, hilarious story, uh, slightly similar. Scott was at work when I had Gabe and we had a lot of false labors um, and issues. So I was in and out of the hospital. So we had already missed a lot of days. This day I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go in. Um, I had developed some issues, which I'll get into later. Finally, I called him. The doctor had sent me over to labor and delivery and we had 30 minutes from the time the doctor said that they were going to go ahead and do my C-section that day to when I needed to be in surgery. Oh, jeez. We lived 30 minutes away. Okay. Okay. Donna had left work about 15 minutes prior so he could go home and real quick change and come up there because he had a feeling something was off, right? Yeah. This dude falls asleep on the couch. Scott. Yeah. And finally he woke up after about 15 minutes later. He had 15 minutes and he got there just in time for them to take me back to delivery. And Oh my God. They actually forgot him in the hallway, which again is a whole nother story um, because of how Gabe's birth went. So continue. Continuing. So as I'm laying in the hospital bed, the way that they normally induce people like the quickest way, I guess, is to use a Foley catheter. I have a latex allergy. So she comes back in about five minutes later and goes, bad news. The non-latex Foley catheters are on back order. How allergic to latex are you? And I was like, well, allergic enough. I don't want it in my cervix. Probably sounds like a terrible idea. If I already have to go through labor, I don't need an allergic reaction inside of my vagina. <laughs> So they induced me with Cervidil, which is a little sticker that they put on your cervix to dilate it. And you have to wait 12 hours. After 12 hours, they came and checked and they're like, oh, you're maybe not enough dilated. And I was like, nope, you can break my water. I'm not doing this. I'm starving. I haven't eaten. And at this point, 24 hours, please just break my water. They broke my water and I was instructed that if my pain hit a three, because of how high my blood pressure was, and it was still climbing at this point, that they needed me to get an epidural. So so now not only do we have the concern of what's going to happen when Dallas is born, we have the concern that my blood pressure is going to spike to the point that it could hurt me or it could hurt her. So I went ahead with the epidural and a hilarious side note is I got my epidural, but I was so nervous. So they gave me laughing gas. And when you get an epidural, you lean over your partner and I was holding my laughing gas mask, but I was having a panic attack. And during a panic attack, you know, you hyperventilate. So I was hyperventilating but I was hyperventilating and laughing gas. And Thomas didn't realize he was supposed to take the mask from me. <laughs> so as they're doing the epidural, she finishes up and she goes, does Jillian still have the mask on? And Thomas is like, is she not supposed to? And she's like, no. I flopped back in that bed like I was having the best day of my life. And I was so thankful for the anesthesiologist that my laughing gas brain was like, oh, I'm going to congratulate her. So I was like, thanks. You did a great job. And I went to slap her butt, which was probably not the most appropriate thing to congratulate someone for. So after the butt slap incident, that epidural, I was in labor in total for three days. And we, they decided to tell me to start pushing right when I was about to go to bed, which I was pretty grumpy about. And I pushed for two and a half hours and my delivery room was me, Thomas, my midwife and my labor and delivery nurse who, her name's Rebecca, shout out to you if you ever listened to this, you were great and I love you. <laughs> um, everything was calm and I was pushing, I was listening to my body. Well, doesn't my epidural start to wear off right when Dallas gets stuck? And Oh no. Yeah, so our calm delivery room of my midwife talking me through my breathing went to a team of 12 doctors and nurses running in because Dallas was stuck. The doctor did her thing. She took her out and we did delayed cord cutting. So Dallas was on my chest and trying to feed and she actually fell asleep while she was trying to breastfeed, which we later realized was because she had low muscle tone in her jaw. And 
and she just got too tired trying to feed. Thomas cut the cord and they took her over to the little incubator and they did their checks. That's when they counted her fingers, missed her toes, like we were talking about earlier. And when they brought her back to me, I actually passed out just, I think, from pure exhaustion and dehydration over the past three days. You know, it's weird. After I gave for the first couple of days, like I would randomly pass out. Like literally, like one day I was just sitting there. Um, my friend had come out to the hospital and she was sitting on the couch next to the bed and I was sitting there holding Gabe and I just like slumped forward and passed out and so she like slowly pulled Gabe away from me and sat down with him and held him but I guess I was out for like 20 minutes and I would do that even at home I think it might be like a blood pressure thing too right maybe I don't know like we never really dove too deep into why I passed out so much yeah it was like four or five days after I had him just randomly just Just snoozing and then also while you're breastfeeding uh, your body releases a hormone that relaxes you. So yeah. we already cho- we always chopped it up to that is because I was usually just right before I breastfed or while I was breastfeeding, like when I would get these all of a sudden I'm passing out thing. Um, and they were just like, yeah, it's just a hormone your body's releasing. Oh, they just brush it off. Oh, they do- <laughs> I'm sorry. How many times have they done that to us? Like brushing off. I can't off, even like- imagine. It's like, oh yeah, your son had kidney issues while you were pregnant. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Not a problem. Like, I did. I asked our doctor after I had Gabe, like, how are his kidneys? And he's like, well, we usually don't check those. Like, I'm like, well, they saw stuff, stuff when I was pregnant. And he's like, we're not concerned with it. Oh my goodness. And completely didn't even continue checking. I'm going to kind of go into my birth story, so bear with me. For like a couple weeks leading up to delivery, I was miserable. I could only get comfortable sleeping on my living room floor. And Scott felt bad, and so he would sleep on the couch next to me because he felt bad that he was in the bedroom and I was on the living room floor. That night, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I'm going to go to bed, like in bed. And Scott was like, okay. He's like grabbing up our stuff before I'm even getting up. Like, let's go back to our bed where it's comfortable. And he gets in there and he's, you know, we lay down, we go to sleep. The next morning, I'm up at six o'clock. I'm making his lunch. I feel great. I'm doing dishes. I'm cleaning. Complete 180 from how I was the whole last half of my pregnancy. Um, And I was doing great. Scott went to work and um, I went to the bathroom and I was bleeding. Oh. And I started having contractions, which I was used to having them, but these felt different. Like there was pressure with them. So I called and the nurse is like, "Mm, you shouldn't be worried. Just you know, you should be okay. I'm like, can we talk to the doctor a little bit? Like, I'm getting a little concerned. There's pressure. And so Dr. Potter, she went and talked to him. She came back. She goes, yeah, Potter wants you in. So come on up. So I went up there to see Potter. And by the time I got there, it was like having a full-on period. What? And he checked me and he goes, let's send you over to labor delivery. I kind of want this monitored. So I went over to labor and delivery and they hooked me up and sure enough, like, but my contractions weren't registering, but I was noticing and I knew how to read the machine, but I was like kind of hurting at this point, like the contractions. Oh dear God, that hurt. Um, And so like, but I'm noticing like it would come on and I'm like, oh my God, I'm having a contractions. It's not registering. But I noticed the other number on the machine kept dropping and it didn't register at the time, but my friend had come up and she's holding my hand and she's watching the same thing. And the nurse comes in and she's looking at everything. She's like, okay. And it was so weird. It's when there's a situation like that it's a calm chaos yeah because they don't want to freak you out right yeah they want to keep you calm and so she came in she's looking at stuff she was hey i'm gonna check you real fast and she i mean literally like she didn't barely do like she just okay you're faced and she went and called the doctor and two seconds later she pops her head in she goes uh he'll be here in 30 minutes you're going to have a c-section like something like that so we went from i don't know if you're having a baby today to we're taking him in 30 minutes but i wasn't fully comprehending what was going on um at that point my friend was watching his heartbeat i had like noticed it dropping but i didn't like i didn't register until actually about a year later um and they like i said scott was late they rushed me into my c-section scott did get there on time before they wheeled me out of the room but then they forgot him in the hall because they were trying to get my c-section get gabe out which now that i look back at it i realized gabe's heartbeat was dropping and they were losing him so they had to get him out and i was hemorrhaging pretty good at that point like i was profusely bleeding so they got him out um i remember trying to joke because i joke all the time so i tried joking during that part of the delivery and like nobody was laughing like nobody was focused in on 
done. I thought it was a very rushed call. Everybody's calm, but they need to get this done and they need to get this done now. And they got Gabe out and they took him over to the incubator with Scott. And um, the one thing that stood out, they were so rushed that they didn't even record his time of birth. Wow. They came back later and did a guesstimate of time of birth. That's so, shitty. No, I mean, they were more concerned with his health than yeah. those small details. So I'm like, I'm okay with that. But that, that just highlights how concerned they were. And then to have this other doctor come in and be like, oh, it's no big deal. It's like, I will not worry about anything. Everything looks fine. I do know like his blood sugars were off. So you mentioned low muscle tone? Yeah, she had really low muscle tone in her jaw and all in her mouth, her lips, all of that stuff. So when she tried to breastfeed, she just would completely pass out and she wasn't able to get milk from me at all, ever. I exclusively pumped for 12 months. Gabe was so tense. Yeah. When you hold your newborn baby and they're like, they're the little floppy thing. (laughs) It's just so floppy. Gabe was never floppy. Not from the moment he was born. He had a tenseness to him and he would just, he was always tense. So tense that his arm would go back behind his back when he, when you were holding him. And it was like, he was always in that tense posture. Um, I'll be enough. We were watching his weight at first because he was losing weight. So did Dallas. That's why we had such a long hospital stay is because she dropped so low below her birth weight and we couldn't figure out why. Cause at this point we didn't know that she wasn't taking milk from me and she dropped so much weight. They wanted to keep her there and send us home. And I was like, uh, yeah, no, you're not. I'm not leaving here without my kids. See, and we didn't think anything of that either because our older son, who doesn't have BBS, was a failure to thrive. Oh. So I was already kind of preoccupied with weight because I had a baby that ended up in the hospital after birth because they, you know, they sent us home and he didn't gain weight for the first five weeks of his life. So then they put him back in the hospital and we were in the hospital for a while. So, um, you know, when, I, when they're watching Gabe's weight, like I'm like, oh, it's just like Braxton. Like this is just, you know, it's just something that happens <laughs> jokes on me i guess Oops, um, just kidding <laughs> yeah, but after i think it was like a month he evened out on weight and he stayed steady yeah dallas was pretty steady up until she was a year and she went off the charts and then they took her completely off of like breast milk like she just went right to solids which was really hard because she because low muscle tone she wasn't chewing she wasn't doing yeah. anything i think I mean, did either of your kids have a NICU stay? I remember Dallas, we knew she was going to stay in the NICU. We didn't know for how long. But I think one of the things to consider as a NICU parent is there's nothing that anyone can say to you that will prepare you for a NICU team coming in and taking your baby away. Oh, yeah. But, well, we didn't We didn't have any of that. Uh, Gabe, for the most part, was um, relatively healthy. Like I said, they were keeping an eye on his blood sugars and they said that if they drop or, or if they had climbed within a couple hours we were at a hospital that didn't have a NICU so we had like six hours um and they were watching it watching him very closely and they said if his blood sugars didn't rise that they were going to be transferring to a hospital in Omaha to put him in the NICU to figure out his blood sugar but the last hour his blood sugar went right over where it needed to be and it stayed right there enough to where we didn't have to be bounced around and then with Robbie we had discussed NICU because of his lungs Mm -hmm. uh, with knowing they weren't developed the week before I had him so with knowing that we were prepared for a NICU stay and then when he was born his lungs were completely healthy so they didn't end up sending him and other than like I said Robbie had no symptoms absolutely none at that point Dallas's NICU stay was really hectic because Mount Sinai with their special pregnancy program they specialize in preemies and my preemies so Dallas was actually for some of the nurses the first full-term baby that they'd ever seen they're like she's so, so big <laughs> I know that's what they're, they're all saying oh she's so big and to me I'm like she's so small and then I consider all these other moms that I met and I mean my heart goes out to them I really hope that their kids got to leave the NICU you know I still think about that a lot um but she was I mean their kids you know set off alarms for real reasons that are real and scary and my experience was Dallas set off the alarms every time she went to sleep because they're set for the sensitivity for preemies and micropremies. But because she was full term, it seemed like her heart was stopping every time she fell asleep because she was actually able to go into that proper deep sleep. And so that was a lot. And I got an infection when I was in labor on top of the blood pressure that they couldn't control. So I had to pump every two hours. I had to get blood pressure medication in my room that was on a different floor in the NICU every two hours and I had to sit and get um, IV antibiotics every two hours so your girl didn't sleep (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I, you know what? I was actually, um, the days after having, I looked back on that and it was like before we knew and it was, you could almost get lost in the, it was a normal family. Yeah. Normal. And I guess mine was different. It's like, this was, it was normal until we had her. And then it was just, it was chaos. And in the NICU, they, the Mount Sinai hospital has an underground tunnel, which is pretty cool. That goes to sick kids, which is our children's hospital in Toronto. And we had doctors come over from every specialty you could think of and check her head to toe, ultrasounds, brain scans, like all of her urine, all of her blood all the time was all being taken. So it was just a constant stream. I don't remember a single name from that time. I was just remember sitting there and a doctor would come in while I'm holding Dallas and they'd be like, okay, thank you. And take her from <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't even know what you're doing right now. I don't know who you are. I'm sure they introduced themselves. Those two hospitals are incredible, but I, I just wasn't present. <laughs> we, we call them minions. <laughs> and that is not an insult to any medical care professional. 100% residents work so hard and are so amazing. But you follow around your chief resident and your fellow and all that. Um, you follow those guys around and you kind of like go in packs. So it's like, they're minions. They do their good. <laughs> oh <laughs> is, my it's, it is my endearing uh comment and i my husband spent a lot of time in the hospital over the last couple of years so i've got to know a lot of minions and they are amazing <laughs> and i could not have made through any of the stuff we've been through without my minions yeah i think our doctors and nurses and at mount sinai rob like all of our teams at sick kids if you guys can deal with me you deserve an extra special shout out shout shout ooh, shout out <laughs> Because I am not an easy oh, person so to hard. deal with. Words are hard. <laughs> not an easy person to deal with. And I couldn't have gotten through any of this without all of our medical professionals. Honestly, y'all are incredible people. And I don't know how you manage to keep your cool when I'm sitting here having a panic attack every 30 seconds. <laughs> What was it? Um, I tell people a lot and that I really feel like this encompasses special needs parents or parents of rare children. You know, a lot of people look at us and say like, oh my God, you're so strong. Like, I don't know if I could do this. You're just so strong. And I just, every time they say that, all I can think is, do we have a choice? Yeah. We never really had a say in whether we wanted to be this strong or not. We just had to figure it out. And I think I told you just a couple days ago, I'm like, sometimes you don't feel like you're strong enough, but you put that fake smile on, you get out of bed, you do what you got to do. Um, and you're going to stop and look back in two years and go, oh my God, I was so strong. Even yeah. if you don't feel it now. Ew, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, there are times that I look back and I'm like, well, that wasn't as crazy as I thought it was. Yeah, I have those moments, I think, some days where everything just feels a little heavier and it just feels like a lot. And then, you know, you question yourself as a parent in general, but as a rare disease parent, like, you know, you chose to bring them here, like, and then you have that guilt that's like you pass something down to your kid. Yeah. You didn't know about it. You, I struggle still two years later with this overwhelming feeling of guilt that I did something wrong and I think the important thing to remember is that you didn't do anything wrong it's just something that happened it sucks yeah. <laughs> well and like it is so mind-boggling how it works out I mean you don't when you meet somebody and decide I'm getting married and I'm gonna start a family you don't think are we gonna be genetically compatible no I never would have thought that no I would be like is our making babies going to cause a rare genetic disease or a life-threatening condition like you don't think about that like who does like who really puts it's like you don't you just don't because it's not something that you would just automatically assume would happen no you, and it's just so it's so uncommon but it's like um you know so yeah you don't see that coming but you also don't see your children getting cancer or your children getting in a car accident or all these other childhood illnesses like you never think oh my god that can happen to us it always and i, I used to tell somebody um things always happen to somebody else always yeah you always know somebody else that has something going on somebody it's else that crazy feeling when all of a sudden it's you yeah also it, you're somebody else and i i've gotten to the point a couple times where like i'm going through it and like i'll tell somebody i'm like i'm sick and tired of being somebody else and they're like what do you mean and i'll be like well this always happens to somebody else like your sister knows a friend from work whose daughter is sick or your cousin knows a friend from the grocery store that has a sick kid when does you when does it get to the point where like all of a sudden you realize you're that somebody you're somebody's co-worker grocery store person you are somebody else and you can get so tired of being somebody else yeah my whole thing was that i don't 
don't want to be that person. I don't want to be, I'm going to cry. <laughs> So excuse me, but I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be that poor mom. I didn't want it to be that poor kid. I hate that. I'm not a poor mom. I don't want you to pity me. I'm, I made an active decision. When I first meet, like, new, so I try to make mom friends and stuff. Like, I run into that. Like, you tell them, like, what you're going through. And it's like, all right, because we just met, I'm going to need to lay it on you. And it's going to be heavy. And you might want to run. Yep. And they, I'm not going to lie, most of them do. Most of them do. Like, <laughs> at first they're like no no like this is fine like that's totally cool and within like two or three days they stop talking to you because yeah. you just are too much like and it's not <laughs> and the, you add on like other family situations because we're not just parents to special needs kids yeah. we have I have other children you have Harper you have Thomas um I have my husband Scott we're not just I'm not just Gabe and, Mo- Gabe and Robbie's mom I am a wife and mother I'm a daughter I'm uh you know I have sister-in-laws I have brothers and sisters um um, there are more to us than just our kids. So things happen in our extended family or our other members of our family that just add to this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I like, yeah, Jillian knows our story on my husband. He's been in and out of hospital a lot. We've almost lost him a couple times due to surgery. And right now he has cancer. He just had surgery and now he has to do radiation. And it's like, you know, it's, it can sometimes be a lot for the general population <laughs> to really take in like, oh my God, how do you deal with this just dealing with like your husband stuff and then they I go oh wait by the way surprise my kids have kidney disease liver disease you know they they're going blind they have all these other conditions and November we found out Gabe is legally blind so now you're trying to explain to people like yeah I have one child that's legally blind and one that's going blind and my husband has cancer I'm like you know we're gonna get older and like we're gonna get into our 60s and people are like our friends are gonna start falling apart we're gonna be like suck it up buttercup we did this when we were younger <laughs> we had young children you're fine you're fine fine. (laughs) I know and then it it makes sometimes it makes like all of these like little things just seem so silly like Dallas had a bad stomach the other day and I'm like come on kid like we've dealt with worse than this so far like get your poops out and move on I know right and then like every oh and then every time they get sick like you have to wonder oh god is this the kidney oh god is this the liver oh god is it this is it that you know what I mean like you're like one of those things where like a regular cough can turn into a two-week hospital stay yeah and like people don't realize that like it really Gabe had stomach pains but he ended up staying overnight in the hospital for because you know people don't understand that a lot of BBS kids don't feel pain like normal people yeah and here Gabe is saying he has lower right quadrant pain and he has a fever and they're like what's up you know they're like oh we don't know what this is but we had to treat it like it could possibly be appendicitis because he doesn't show pain this is a kid that broke his arm on a trampoline and still played on that trampoline for three hours yeah you know and then we went home and you know he didn't want to go to the hospital and get it looked at like he was fine he wasn't crying he continued to play he continued to use the arm though he did seem a little more guarded with it he kept going and that's that's that kid um so when people are like oh like he'll let you know no he won't he'll straight up will not let you know Just for a warning. I think that's the sass of BBS kids too. I mean, a lot of parents that we've talked to say their kids are just like, they're they're the boss. Yeah. They'll let, they, you think they'll let you know? No, they're going to do their own thing. We call it the zero cares giving kid. Yeah. But we, use, it, we use another word. Dallas <laughs> is the same. We call her the queen. We say that she's royalty. It's her world. We're just living in it. Yeah, but well, and Gabe is not that. No, he wants you to stay out of his world. He's like, he at times wants to interact and cuddle and love and play and be a normal kid. It seems like, like not a normal kid, but he wants to interact. But a lot of times Gabe just wants to be left alone. Dallas is kind of like that too. And those rare moments, or if you're one of those rare people that he lets into his world, absorb every minute of it because you are truly blessed. Yeah. Oh, you're going to make me cry again. Look at me all emotional. <laughs> Well, I'm sitting here talking a lot about Gabe, and I haven't mentioned, like, Robbie is the exact opposite. Like, in every <laughs> shit. Every every way. So Gabe never had the weight issue Robbie did. Robbie struggles with his weight horribly. Gabe is severely autistic in the mindset of about a four or five-year-old. Robbie is doing really well. Um, He does have developmental delays that affect schooling, but overall he's doing pretty good. Um, He's wearing glasses because they did find some other issues with his eyes other than the RB or retinus primatosia. But I mean, and that actually stopped his migraines. He was having these severe migraines 24-7, had a headache. And we checked his eyes and, you know, they 
kind of ruled those out because the prescription wasn't a lot. Yeah. But then randomly, the doctor decided to, or this, uh, our doctor this year decided, I'm going to put a, I'm going to give Robbie glasses and we'll see how this goes. Instantly, no more headaches. As soon nice. as he started wearing them, the headaches went away. Um, He's doing better in school. He's reading more. His math is excelling. I mean, the glasses have made a 100% turnaround difference. And that's it's, really good. And it's, but that's something that you can hard to detect in BBS kids because they're going blind. Like, how do you know which is which? Yeah. I think the Sorry. blindness for me was the most devastating for some reason. Knowing that there's nothing you can do. Driving in the car and looking out the window and looking at the grass and realizing how green it was and wondering if Gabe and Robbie were going to remember the color. That was a devastating moment for me. And that was right after I thought, now I've become, like, I, you do get to the point where you're a little more accepting of it. Like, you understand a little bit better. Like, oh yeah, like, they're going blind. But, you know, right now they can see and right now they can do different things. Um, but yeah, there's devastating parts of them going blind that's, especially in the beginning of the yeah, grief. I, it's a lot of grief, but yeah. Oh, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I'm gonna ugly cry. Good thing this is a podcast and not a YouTube video. <laughs> I, I will say, um, grief counseling. If you're a new parent facing this uh, grief counseling, um, you don't have to have a loved one pass away to go through grief. Yeah. We grieve. We grieve for. I, I know I grieve for my kids' future. My um, the hopes and dreams that I had for my child that are no longer a certainty, which they never were in the first place. But as parents, we like to think they are. Yeah. You know, when when you got pregnant with Dallas, where do you see her life? Leaving me alone when she turned eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that now. Um, but you know, you 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 dream about what she would do with her life, where she yeah. would go. And now it's just one of those things, especially you know, with an autism diagnosis. And if she goes blind or when she goes blind, I guess it's just you really don't know. You don't know if these kids are gonna ever be able to live independently without you. And that's one of those things is that I look at my stepdaughter and I'm like, oh, like I she knows she's nine. She knows what she wants to do when she's older. Like yeah. <laughs> within certain reason but like is Dallas ever gonna have that is she ever gonna tell me what she wants to be when she's older I don't know you know I did have to I I had a stern talking to and I want to first alliterate I love <laughs> Robbie's teacher a hundred percent Robbie was um he went to class and they were talking about um what you what you could be when you grow up public servants what what can you what do you want to be when you grow up um and you know the kids were saying police officer and firefighter and doctor and Robbie goes Ghostbuster <laughs> and she, you know he's kind of laughing and she thinks he's joking and so she turns and goes Robbie no like but, you know we're talking serious so come on um and Robbie came home from school that night completely crushed and I had to call his teacher the next day and I called the principal I was so mad not gonna lie I love his teacher we have moved past this scenario so do believe that this was handled very well from every point of view in the school system um but as a parent I was very angry because yeah. Robbie and Gabe do not live in the same reality that other children do you know um a lot of children in Dallas too like she doesn't live in the same reality no. the other kids reality is I go to school I go home I can go do this I can go do that I go to the doctors when I'm not feeling good or I'm doing a well check but other than that like I'm good for our kids it's their reality revolves around hospitals and needles and tests and appointment after appointment and every time you get sick it's not just am I sick now they're testing my kidneys and now they're testing my liver to make sure everything's functioning because when even a clue can put you back how far um and every time something goes wrong you have to go in and their lives revolve around that and you know when Gabe Robbie loves Ghostbusters like 100% and he wants to be a Ghostbuster when he grows up um I probably he'll probably never hear this but Bill Murray if you ever hear this Robbie wants to meet you desperately <laughs> um just saying um but he just he's obsessed with them and he wants to be a Ghostbuster when he grows up and we've never dissuaded him like persuaded him away from that idea because that's his reality and you know knowing that your child's going blind they're not going to be going to school to be a doctor or a police officer or a fireman I mean they could be a doctor but a police officer or a firefighter when you're going to be blind yeah and that's I mean I guess there could be certain like things in that job field that you will be able to do but it's not the same as every other child that can dream of those things so my son dreams of other things and we dream of making sure that he gets to experience whatever reality he wants yeah. And we're not promised that reality. And that's the sad thing. <laughs> no parent is, but we are more aware. aware. Aware that we're not promised that reality. That's what I mean. I think 
<laughs> I think I, I'll be the same way. I mean, like, as long as Dallas has her sight and has everything, I'm going to take her and do all of those things. The parents are like, oh, your kids aren't going to remember that. You don't need to do that. Like, okay, but one day at the age that she hits when she can remember these things, she might not be able to see it. Yeah, we took the kids to see the ocean. Uh, we're taking the kids this fall to Colorado to see the mountains. And those are things we want to do because I want them to have those memories. I want them to close their eyes and see those things, yeah. you know? And if we don't take them now, when they're older, they will never be able to close their eyes and see a mountain. Exactly. I'm, so. Yeah, we're working on a, like a little bucket list thing. But just a little, we'll get to the, you know, there's just like the little things. Um, here in the States, I don't know if you have it there. Uh, well, I think you guys do have like a make-a-wish thing. Um, I don't really know. I think Canada does because they help people from all over the world. But I'm sure there's an organization up there that helps. Even, even if it's not Make-A-Wish, I'm sure that there's some organization that grants wishes to sick kids. Now, this is a disclaimer. Not every state is the same. Um, and each Make-A-Wish or like state is different. So some states do see Bardet Beetle and a genetic condition as a life-threatening or a chronic illness. Some do not. So you some states you can be approved, some you're not. So just be aware of that. But yeah, they sent Robbie and gave both to Florida um, at separate times to have their wish of going to Disney. And we went and took them to the ocean and had a lot of fun. I think that's what we would do too, would be Disney. Like a once in a lifetime thing. It's And you go, oh my God, I can do a whole podcast on Give Kids the World. So we're not going to go into that right now. Check out Give Kids the World. Sorry. Okay. I guess we just want to wrap this up and kind of tell everybody thank you for joining our VBS family and what we're growing here in our education. Um, I do want to end with a question for anybody. If you can please go to our Facebook page, our Instagram, or our Twitter and let us know that you've watched, that you want to continue watching, like, follow, the whole gambit. Um, and also tell us what you want to know. Uh, tell us, you know, is there any information that you would like from us? Any questions you have for us? Give us a shout out. Let us know what you want to know next. And you can also let me know if I talk too fast. Yeah. <laughs>